Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. You can find us at bandlibrary.com, Twitter, all those other places. You know where to go if you want to track down a librarian. Usually a bar, small one, someplace intimate. Maybe it's got a little shelf of books. You can tell librarians have been there because it's curated. It's in order. Nonfiction, subject order. All the fictions by author. If it's public librarian. If it's academic librarians. Eh, they just kind of willy-nilly throw that shit wherever they feel like it. Depending on level of drunkenness. Fun fact. Whiskey drinkers. They always throw them for some reason. I don't know why. At the end. It's like you gotta go through all the truth before you get to the bullshit. Kinda like that. It's a whiskey drinker myself. Speaking of myself, my name is S.D. Harker. Librarian and writer. You can find me on Twitter, at BanLibrary. <laughs> and also, at BanWriter. If you want to help us out, go over Friends of the Library. Become one on Patreon, patreon.com slash BanLibrary. Dollar a month gets you, oh, like the whole back catalog, everything. It's like 400-some posts at this point, I think. I don't know, it goes, it goes, it's a lot. And you get an audio feed, and you just get this whole shit. And I've started doing new movies. I think as this comes out, we're going to be doing Joker and Gemini Man and a couple other. Well, I'm calling the summer of 2019 Daddy Issues or Parental Issues. A lot of fucking shit going on. But, as usual, it's been an interesting week at the library. I think last time we told you about Sleepy Joe disappearing into the basement with Dave from IT. Yeah, he's still gone. His friend came looking for him. Iron Pete and Catfish. Iron Pete and Catfish. That's a crew, man. Those guys get together. Usually they hold court off in the corner. Mostly we put them off in the corner because, well, they smell a little funny. You know what I mean? These are the folks that don't bathe all that much. I mean, the dude's name is Catfish. What do you think he smells like? Well, it's, it's just dirt and stuff. You know, just body. You know, he's just a. He's one of our transient individuals. Nice guy. Sweet as can be. Don't let him touch your stuff, though. If, you, if he asks you to, like, hey, can I help you carry your stuff out, pretty lady? Or he says pretty lady to everybody, man, woman, child. But even if he does, don't let him do it. I don't know what he's got on his hands. I don't know what he deals with at night. I mean, sometimes we have to, like, kick him out of the bathroom. So he's he's definitely in there a lot. You just stay away from catfish is all I'm saying. But, yeah, they've been asking about their friend, Sleepy Joe. That's the problem. You know how it is. Somebody just doesn't want to leave, and then they leave forever. Where do those people go, you wonder? Man, Catfish, he was just talking about his friend Sleepy Joe all the time as he fell asleep in different places. Apparently, he fell asleep on three different buses on the same day one day. Oh, that was funny. Especially considering I've been working here for at least a couple of years now. The fucker 
Been there every goddamn day I've worked there, so who knows? But I'm not here to talk about the disappearances of our many strange and illustrious patrons. We're here to talk about Scarlet Street, 1945 Fritz Lang movie about things done dirt cheap. I guess is the best way to say that. Let's start off talking about Fritz Lang himself. He was an Austrian-German-American filmmaker, born 1890 in Vienna, Austria. He traveled extensively throughout his youth in Europe until a little thing called the Great War, World War One. Yeah, your granddaddy's war, you know, whatever you want to call it. Went off to fight a little bit, got wounded in Romania and Russia. So not exactly the happiest fronts. Of course, he wasn't exactly on the winning side. And after that, he started off as an actor. Then became a writer from there. And then they had him do some directing, where he got into the existential style. The, you know, expressionists. Where he starts talking about all kind of crazy shit. And they gave him this little movie called M. With this weird little dude named Peter Lorre. That was his first talkie. It's considered a masterwork in the genre. They've even remade it, but it still lived past its remake. If you can believe that. Kind of like The Thing. And the fact that there was an actual like sequel to The Thing, also called The Thing. But nobody remembers that piece of garbage. People only remember the original 1980s classic. John Carpenter. Same thing. M is a masterwork in... Well, just diabolical filmmaking. Some creepy shit. And then a little regime called the Nazis started blowing up in Germany. And he didn't really enjoy it. Apparently his mother's side was Jewish. He was raised, I believe, Roman Catholic. But I may be off on that. But he was kind of scared when they started talking all this nonsense and people putting people into camps and such. And especially when his wife was just like, yeah, this is great. And she went off and joined up with the Nazis. And to hear him tell it, he had a dramatic escape where one day he just grabbed his passport and some other shit and just gathered all his shit together and overnight went off to Paris. After meeting with Goebbels, one of the big head, the Nazi party, who wanted him to come along and, you know, do some films for him. But all records say, especially his passport and a couple other things, that he met with Goebbels at one point and then a couple of months later just sort of moved to Paris. Got a hand into a man for being dramatic. Back in the day, you can lie about a bunch of shit. But yeah, 1933, he's in Paris. Made at least one French movie there before coming over to America, signed with MGM for a couple of pictures. Made 23 features in the United States. But he kind of struggled because he wanted to show, you know, some basic truths. Racism. He wanted to show the black experience with lynching. All other kind of scary shit. But the film board at the time was like, eh, maybe not. Show all that. He was also a big outstanding figure in film noir, including Scarlet Street, which we're going to be talking about today. Unfortunately, he died of a stroke and 1976, of course, I mean, that put him in his 80s. So you really can't hurt the guy. He's 86 years old, so 
he had a damn good life and an interesting one. And you can't hurt him for fibbing a couple of times. I mean, shit, he had a Nazi wife. How many people can say that that weren't Nazi themselves? Scarlet Street itself started filming 1944-ish. He reunited the director with actors Edward G. Robertson, Joan Bennett, and Dan Duryea. Probably wrong on that. They'd worked earlier in The Woman in the Window in 1944. Now, Scarlet Tree was based on a French novel called La Chienne, literally The Bitch, by Georges de Fonchardière. Fonchardière. Not even going to go into that. It had been on the stage and been around a little bit, and they were like, yeah, I'll put it up on the movie screen. Renoir, the author of some of the stage plays that these have come out, they didn't really like Frickling's versions of this and another movie that they'd made Human Desire based on that same works. But Scarlet Street kind of did some similarities to The Woman in the Window and themes, cast, crew, like I said, cast, pretty much the same characters. Robinson playing a lonely middle-aged man as he did. Ben and Durye. I feel bad saying that, but they both play criminal elements. Both films were photographed by Milton R. Krasner. Walton Wagner, who produced the film, also produced 1937's You Only Live Once. Despite being considered the classic of film noir, just like The Woman in the Window, Robinson sort of noticed Edward G. Robinson. If you don't know who Edward G. Robinson is, remember all the those old... Looney Tunes characters that had sort of a big, downturned face, big, sort of pudgy lips. They were all sort of off of him. He was a gangster sort of actor a lot of times, but here he's not playing the gangster. He's a Shelby guy. But he saw that it was a little monotonous, and he couldn't wait to finish it. He wanted to go on, and he didn't like doing the other projects either. 12 paintings in the film, because it does center around an artist, were done by John Decker. They were sent to the Modern Museum of Art, Museum of Modern Art, sorry, in New York City. And they were shown around in 1946. It did mix reviews, didn't make a ton of box office, but I didn't have a whole lot of reports to work with. I didn't really hit box office mojo on this one. But immediately on release in 1946, it got banned in several places, including... New York City, the New York State Censor Board banned Scarlet Street, saying, uh, throughout the entire state, saying it was obscene, indecent, immoral, and inhuman, sacrilegious, and the exhibition would tend to corrupt morals and incite crime. Wisconsin and Georgia pretty much said the exact same thing. My favorite was uh, Christina Smith, the censor of Atlanta, argued Quote, the sordid life it portrayed, the treatment of illicit love, the failure of characters to receive orthodox punishment from the police, and because the picture would tend to weaken the respect for the law. Unquote. And with a whole bunch more, if you go on the website and look, all the different, they just used a lot of word. Lascivious, profane, obscure, contrary to the order of good community. Like, it's just kind of fascinating. But they did get... They protested, of course, and Universal, who released this movie, was going to, you know, try to go against the censors, but they decided not to because, well, it was just too big of a 
bullshit in a couple little cities, so why would you do it? Now, why was this movie banned? Well, if you've seen a lot of film noir, specifically like later neo-noirs like Chinatown, it falls into that trope a lot. See, the story is based on this dude named Chris Cross, who's doing well, he's a clerk, but he's got an unsatisfactory home life. He's a painter, he likes to paint at home, but he meets this girl who all of a sudden, she doesn't have the best home life. And there's a comedy of errors that goes into that. It's the least funny version of like A Fish Called Wanda, if you've ever seen that. A lot of different misunderstandings on every time. But we'll get to it. So let's get into it. Why not? Let's get into the plot while we're talking about it. So we start with a bunch of rich people hanging out, smoking. And this is where we meet Chris Cross. These are all the people, I think it's at a department store or some kind. And he's being rewarded with a gold watch for all his years of service. Because he just sits in this little cage all day long and he basically cashes checks. He does different money things, right? But he's unfulfilled. You can almost tell. Especially when he sees the big boss man get into a car. Which I thought was one of the weirder scenes. Everybody's looking out the window, smoking their cigars. Having a good time, drinking. And you look out the window and there's... The boss man getting in a car with a blonde and everybody's like, that's not his wife. You know, promoting adultery and all kind. But then if you look off to the left and you don't really notice it right off, I didn't see it. I may have had a whiskey or two as I was watching this film, but there's also a monkey. Because of course there is. Because if you're going to do weird shit, might as well have a monkey watching you do it. And there's also a moment in here. I don't know if you've ever heard the old wives tale about lighting cigarettes or cigars. See here they're doing it. They strike a match. They light one. Then they light two. Then they say, you're not, you don't have bad luck, do you, Chris? He says, no, of course not. And he crosses his fingers behind his back as he lights his cigar off that third. The idea was it came from the trench warfare, snipers. See, they'd get, they'd see the person with a gun would see the match flare and then you see one person flare again when you lit it and that's how you sighted in how far it was and you'd see the second person light and that's how you'd see exactly where they were and then the third person pop dead that's where I always heard that came from don't light three on one match Then it goes off. You probably heard that also in like Stand By Me and a couple other movies. But the boss is encouraging them all to drink. Go have fun. So right off, we see the rich and powerful are living a wonderful life. And we go on to learn that poor Mr. Cross here, he doesn't have the best home life. In fact, he's got kind of a shitty one. His wife, her first husband died, or was this decorated detective who jumped in the water to save someone in the Hudson River and never came back out and she pined for him and he rented a room. Mr. Cross rented a room at her house and well the two struck up and she was so nice. Butter didn't melt in her mouth, he says. And of course, he marries her and she becomes probably the bane of his existence. He has to paint in the bathroom. One of his only pastimes, the only thing he does. 
Yeah. That's this guy. Poor shrewish wife, Adele, is her name. And he invites a friend over. Hey, come over. See some of my painting sometime. And the friend's like, hell yeah. And shows up one day and he's painting in the bathroom. And he brings him in here. And the wife pops in and he says, look at this. Isn't it awesome? And it's sort of, it's almost got an avant-garde. It's got that, I don't know, like a flatness to it. It is sort of a interesting painting, if not very linear. Lots of lines, lots of hard edges. Not quite the flower that he's trying to paint, but you can see it's his view of it. He has a point of view. He has something. Our Mr. Cross has an idea about what he wants to be. But then his wife pops in, and she gets all pissed and kicks him out of the bathroom where his painting studio is. And he has to leave out. And he goes all out. And he's having a drink or something. I can't exactly remember. Meets this girl. I guess she's sort of sweet. Or he at least sees her. But she's also having a scuffle out in the street. So he walks up behind the guy she's scuffling with. Thinking this is bad. Clocks the dude over the head. Knocks him down. Says hey. You want to go somewhere have a drink? You know, we can get the cops, we can arrest this guy, and me and you, I'll make sure you get home safe. And she says, yeah, I'll take that drink, let's go. And she comes to think that he's some kind of rich painter, the way he talks about art, the way he talks about loving art. So, and we know that she's in with the guy she's arguing with. He was just a little drunk, and he run off. So while she's hanging out with the supposedly rich guy, she says, you know what would be great? If you, they meet up a couple more times, but if you set up a studio, a place where I could live, that only take like $500, you'd have a place to paint, and I'd have a place to live, and everything would be fine, wouldn't it? And he's romanced by this idea, this idea of this girl, Kitty, Catherine, I forget her last name, but she goes by Kitty. She's fleecing him out of money that he doesn't have, and he decides to take some of the money from his wife. There's money that's been held back from her dead husband dying. And he also mentions that, yeah, he hasn't even slept with his wife. He hasn't even seen a woman naked ever. And he's an older guy. He's older than Kitty. Probably older than his wife, Adele. And he even jokes about wife murder that a man doesn't even have a chance to get away with how good the New York detectives are now. And he asks for money, but gives her the money, Kitty. And she doesn't really put out or reciprocate in the relationship at all, except he has a place to paint. We see her friend, who he introduces as his brother, very much so that aggressive male type that gets ahead. Well, he goes out. This aggressive male type says, well, we got to make some money. All these paintings got to be worth something. But they don't want to you know, go right to a gallery because they think Mr. Cross is very affluent, that he'll be known everywhere. So they go take him down to a street vendor and says, hey, can you just sell these? And the guy says, I can probably get 25 bucks a piece for them. He says, that's great. And he leaves and comes back. But by the time our friend, Johnny, I believe, just the kitty's boyfriend, but he's passing us, it's a farce. 
But he says, the guy who fencing the good says, hey, there's an art critic from the New York Times came by, saw all those paintings, wanted to pay me hundreds of dollars for them. Said he'll be in contact. The guy says, holy shit. That's great. Johnny goes back to the guy and says, we got to sell more of his paintings. And she says, well, he'll, Cross will miss them. What do we tell him? Johnny slaps the shit out of her, takes her down. And she goes to him. He's missing his paintings. And his wife, Adele, goes into the city and sees his paintings in the thing. She knows his fucking that shitty-ass paintings, to her view. She sees him in this nice gallery, and she goes home and says, why were you lying to me about having your paintings in these galleries? He says, I wasn't. He goes down to the gallery, sees him, goes to Kitty and says, what the fuck are my paintings doing there? Kitty starts crying. Comes up with shit on top of her head. It's really good. Actually, this is a very good pairing with A Fish Called Wanda. Wanda works a lot of the same ways. Jamie Lee Curtis in that movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch that one. But yeah, this is a whole propagation of a woman's tear, swaying a man. Because he said, I didn't, she says, I didn't know what to do. So I took your paintings down there and they sold and they think I did it. Because he signed. So everybody thinks, his wife at least, thinks that he's been copying this girl, Catherine. When really it's him. Because for some reason he didn't sign his own damn painting. And there's very strange stuff happens now where all of a sudden out of nowhere, Adele's husband comes back. He's missing one eye. He jumped in to save the woman in the river. Hated his wife, hated his life. The woman died. The suicide went through. But she also had a bunch of money on her. So he took the money and went off into hiding. Now he's run out of money. He's come back. And... Cross comes up with an idea. Well, if he's still alive, that means their marriage is good, my marriage is shit, and I can be with Kitty. So he says to the detective, hey, no problem. Go into Adele's room. There's, She's still got all the money that from where you died. Just take that and go. And then when he goes in there, he kind of wakes her up and runs. So he goes to Kitty. And here's another problem I have this older movie, so you gotta forgive it for its techniques, but there's some severe editing here. Where one scene ends and it just sort of jumps to another one. But yeah. He goes and he says to Kitty, hey, we can we can be together. This whole thing, I'll paint the pictures, you be the artist. Me and you will be together and well Johnny, you know, we'll take care of him. And she says she starts laughing at Mr. Cross, you're so old, you're so greedy. No, this would never work. This is nothing. And he gets mad and he goes away and comes back. Sees her and Johnny holding each other. Says, Jeepers, I love you, Johnny. Johnny leaves. He crosses hiding and he comes out again and says how much he loves her and she could never be that way, and he takes up an ice pick and stabs the shit out of her, kills her dead right there. Not on screen, mind you. But it's even more horrific if you think about it that way, him advancing on her with that ice pick in his hand. Her throwing that fucking, I don't know, cover, duvet, whatever the fuck it is, getting stabbed to shit. But Johnny gets arrested for it. 
famous artist murdered by hoodlum boyfriend. Even Cross, part of the defense. Yeah, I didn't paint any of that stuff. She was a great artist. I just copied him. He's going crazy because all he hears is, Jeepers, I love you, Johnny. As Johnny goes off to the chair. And yeah, that's where we end. Our man Cross, wandering the streets, hearing the woman he loves, hearing her, her and her mind, in his mind, going crazy. That's where he goes off. Does he ever paint again? We don't know. Did his wife make it through with her husband? Nobody knows. All we know is that everybody's life is probably broken and damaged and done. And the view of humanity that we have after seeing this is that everybody's for shit. Even our man here, he was stealing from his job. He gets fired. They don't bring him up on charges. His boss from the very beginning, who's sleeping with the lady and possibly the monkey. He says, yeah, we, you know we have to fire you, but well, you were such a good worker. We won't throw you out like that. And I highly recommend you watch this. It's a crazy fucking movie. Like I said, it does show its age with editing, with... I don't know, there's some pacing problems going through some of it. Kind of drags a little bit. You can tell there's stages. But as far as period cinema... cinema, Sorry, my mouth is a little off. It's, It's a masterwork. And if you like film noir, it's definitely there. Now, as far as all the criticism it got with its, you know, being, what was it again? Lascivious. The city of Milwaukee calling it a new policy going for the stricter regulation of undesirable films. This is the kind of movie that would weaken your respect for the law, they thought. At least they did in Georgia. Which, yeah, there's no good punishment here. The bad guy doesn't get his outside of the really bad guy. Really does. But the only bad thing Johnny really did was fake a murder. Kitty died. She got murdered. Poor Chris Cross. He got... He killed a lady. Sent another guy up for murder. Well, you know, these things happen. That's where this episode is going to end. Thank you for listening. Stay in, read a book. Dances and Dames by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.